It's good to be with you today. Happy New Year to you. How many have already made some New Year's resolutions? And how many have been broken already? <laughs> yep, um, it's that time of year, isn't it? Let's see how long we can last. Well, I'll, many, many, many years ago, after I graduated from college, I had the opportunity to serve in my home church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I had grown up in this church and uh, graduated from the university that was in my hometown. And um, they had an opportunity there to serve as a recreation director. So I said, what perfect job could there be? You had to hang out in a gym and do the fun stuff. And so as a natural uh, element of that responsibility was working with our student ministry. And so this particular uh, summer, uh, after I'd begun working there, it was time for summer camp, so they asked me to be one of the chaperones. And we went to a camp area in the um, coast of North Carolina um, where it was a typical youth camp during the week where we did the uh, studies and worship in the morning and in the evening. And then the afternoons were typically free for recreation and hanging out. And of course, since we were at the beach, you know, we went to the beach. But also a couple of days, we would just hang out at the pool that was at the, uh, the camp, uh, the, the retreat center there. And so this one particular day, something totally bizarre but miraculous happened that I've never forgotten. And it's been over 40 years since this incident took place. And I promise you, everything I'm telling you is exactly the truth. It is so bizarre, there's no room for embellishment. So, but it, so here's the story. So the afternoon had come and we all went to the pool, a big part of our youth group and a lot of the leaders. And you know, as you would imagine at a youth camp like this, uh, just about all the kids were at the pool swimming. So even though it was an Olympic-sized pool, uh, with the diving area and all that, there wasn't much you could do except just stand in the water and be wet and maybe splash yourself a little bit because they were real strict with all their other rules, so you couldn't really even play games and all that stuff. So anyway, so we're just hanging out, trying to cool off and have some fun and doing all that stuff. Then one of our teenage girls screams and shrieks because she had just lost a contact lens in the pool. Now, uh, if you, if any, does anybody here wear contact lenses? Okay. Now, you probably have the nice soft ones that adhere right to your eye, but this is in the old days. This is back in the 70s where it's just hard lenses, which actually I get to wear still today. Um, but it, it's back in the days, you know, some of y'all remember that are my age or close to it, that uh, basketball games would sometimes come to a stop because somebody lost their contact lens and everybody's on their hands and knees looking for the lenses on the floor. Um, you don't see that much any, anymore, but uh, that was the kind of era that we were living in. So this particular girl, she was a, a high school senior, just graduated, and she was uh, beside herself, as you would imagine, because her contact lens had popped out. Because back then, they also cost an awful lot of money back then, much, they're much more reasonable now, but even though they're still not cheap. But, um, and so she was beside herself, one, because she had just gotten them a couple weeks ago, but she also knew how much they cost. And she didn't want to have to tell her daddy, who happens to be one of our ministers at the church, um, about what happened. So she was crying and trying to figure out what to do. And, and so she was slowly moving her way over to the side of the, of the pool when one of the 
risk one of the, well, we, lack of a better term, just the goofy guy in the youth group. You know, you always have somebody like that. Uh, the reason I know, because I think I was the one when I was in the youth group. But anyway, so this goofy guy says, everybody stop moving. I'll find it. Now, keep in mind, there's at least 100 people in the swimming pool. So even if nobody moved, you know, the water is still moving about and all that stuff. Plus the contact lens is basically clear with a blue tint to it. Well, what do you think the water in the swimming pool is? It's clear with a blue tint to it. So we just kind of rolled our eyes and said, you go on. We tried to figure out what to do for this young lady who was just beside herself. And so she ended up getting out of the pool and going up on the little grassy area where her beach towel was. And, you know, all her girlfriends are around her while she's crying and her eyes out and all this stuff. So about 10, 15 minutes go by. We're trying to figure out, well, what do we do? I don't, there's nothing we can do, you know. So, and then, miracle number one, the goofy guy. He comes and says, get out of my way, get out of my way, I found it. And we're going, no way. There's no way you found this contact. And he comes up to the edge of the pool and he lets his hands out. And he had found that contact lens in the pool. I mean, can you believe something like that could happen? Well, I didn't either, but there it was. And the girl was just beside herself. She gave him a big kiss, which made his day. And so and she went back over to her beach towel and was getting all her little solution together and was going to put it back, pop it back in her eyes. So, you know, we're just greatly relieved that that big phone call to her dad was not going to have to take place. So she got it doctored up and she got it on her finger, getting ready to put it in her eye. And then, wouldn't you know it, a gust of wind blows by and blows it off her finger. And now it's lost again. So she starts crying her eyeballs out again. And everybody's trying to think, but at least we're now on dry land, at least with grass. And we're thinking, okay, maybe we can have. So we all get out of the pool and we start looking around, hands and knees, trying to figure out if we can find this contact lens. Well, another 15, 20 minutes goes by, and we're giving up. You know, nobody can find it. And, of course, most of the other people don't know what's going on anyway. But then another girl from our youth group comes walking back into the swimming pool area. And she said, did somebody lose a contact lens? And said, what? I said, yeah. I was all the way back down, I left and it was about, uh, you know, all the way back down to the cabins, which is a good hundred yards or more. And somebody noticed I had something stuck to my stomach. And I looked and it was a contact lens. Now, and so I wondered, did somebody lose one? And so what did happen back, that was back in the days when youth groups, girls could wear uh, two-piece two bathing suits, you know, it was a great, great era, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> and she had so much sunscreen on that it had stuck to her stomach because she had walked by the girl right as the wind blew off her finger. And it had stuck to her belly and she had walked 100 yards away and came all the way back with the contact lens. Now, isn't that crazy? Isn't that bizarre? And I promise you, that is absolutely true. Of course, can't prove it to you because none of those people are still alive properly. But, <laughs> but it's what happened. So there was great rejoicing taking place 
for this lost contact lens, not just once, but twice. And that girl was so excited. I think she just wore glasses the rest of the time she was at camp that week. So she wouldn't have to deal with that again. But anyway, why do I tell you that? Well, like the story I told about my son, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us what brings great joy in heaven. And that is when something that is lost is found. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives three beautiful uh, parables or word pictures that illustrate that truth of what brings him great joy and all of heaven great joy. And that is when a person who is lost is found. And so let's take a look at that passage. Um, You've got a message map there that will help you follow along with my outline that we're going to be talking about. So in Luke chapter 15, he goes ahead and starts right in. Uh, Luke, when he's writing this, says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So it's almost like the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of that day, were trying to trap Jesus right off the bat because they would not hang out with sinners. Now, who's a sinner? Well, basically, aren't all of us sinners? And, of course, the tax collectors, they kind of had their own um, level of sin, so to speak, because not only did they tend to be dishonest, but they also were working for the Roman government. So they had their own category of vileness, so to speak, of being hated in, uh, by the Pharisees as such. And so Jesus begins to point out to them right away that, hey, this is, this is, these are exactly the people that I came to serve. In another place in the Gospels, in Mark 2.17, Jesus said this, it's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And in Luke chapter 19, he actually gives his, basically his whole purpose statement, which he says, but I, for the son of man has, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so basically they, Jesus is revealing his entire purpose through this parable, which gives us some great illustrations of what it means to be lost, and what then brings great joy to God and to heaven, all of heaven. And so as we get into it there, uh, we begin with the parable of the lost sheep. And so it begins in chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And so he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And so I think the first point that he's making here is what, um, what are the reasons that we tend to wander? Because I think this is true of us not only from a salvation standpoint, but then when we are saved and become followers of Christ, that we still have a tendency to wander. Now, this is what's happened with the sheep here. The sheep is uh, a very innocent being, so to speak, and was probably distracted by another green pasture or some streams of living water. 
uh, is such, um, there's streams of water uh, that um, distracted and pulled him away from his purpose. But, but we learned from that that he basically became lost or wandered because he lost sight of the shepherd. And so I think that we are all guilty of wandering because we get distracted. Uh, sometimes it's distractions are just due to things that appeal to our desires. Like James 1:13 and 14 says, each one is tempted when he is carried away enticed by his own lust. And when lust conceives, it gives birth to sin. Um, so sometimes the distraction is something that is purely appealing to our desires. But then also, uh, sometimes the distractions are actually good things in our life, like our jobs, like our family, like our community involvement, or even the church, where we're doing good things, but because we're doing all these other things, they begin to take on a priority of themselves. And so therefore, we lose sight of what the shepherd has in store for us. Um, but then in the third parable of this um, chapter in Luke 15, we also see that another reason we wander is due to outright rebellion. And the third parable he gives here is the parable of the prodigal son, which you're all probably very familiar with, but we'll continue to look at these scriptures here. And so what happened there with the prodigal son? Well, he goes on to say, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of this state that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Uh, you're all familiar with this story. But notice that how significant it was that he was requesting his inheritance before his father had even passed. When Pastor Kevin talks about this, he points out that basically what the son was saying to his father says, I wish you were dead. That's how selfish his desire had become at this point. And so therefore he wandered away pursuing his own selfish desires and totally left the family, totally left the, his dad, totally left the safety of his surroundings to go and squander his life. So I think it's a reminder of us that we have reasons that we wander because we lose sight of the shepherd, but then also sometimes it's due to outright rebellion. So then as we move forward, what's, what were the reactions to being lost on the part of the sheep and part of the prodigal son here? This is, well, it, I think especially with the sheep, it was a sense of helplessness because a sheep has no defense mechanism at all. Their, their safety comes from the shepherd and being part of a flock, being part of a large number of other sheep. And so the shepherd is the one that provides all the protection. Outside of the protection of the shepherd, they are totally defenseless. They have no means by which to defend themselves. And so with the, and the prodigal son illustrates, there becomes a defining moment that should and hopefully will take place for all of us. If we've caught ourselves wandering, then perhaps there's a defining moment that is that we're on the verge of experiencing there. And so going back to the parable of the prodigal son, it picks up now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began doing without. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But here's the key line. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I am dying here from the hunger. I think that's so critical there. When we're guilty of wandering or uh, rebelling against God, that hopefully there's some defining moment where we come to our senses. Now, in the case of the prodigal, it was because everything around him had pretty much fallen apart. And, but notice that he didn't try to improve his situation. His thoughts and direction in his heart went immediately back to his father, thinking about what his father had to offer him, not in what he could do to change the circumstances in which he was living. Because he still could have continued to rebel but that defining moment took place when he came to his senses. My good buddy, Sean King, here in the church, started a ministry. Are you here, Sean? There you are. Okay. Um, started a ministry to the homeless a few years back. And I was intrigued by the way he, he would go into conversations with many of these who were down and out. And he'd listen to their story patiently and let them say anything and everything that they wanted to say. But then he'd always come back with these two questions. Well, how is doing it your way working out for you? How's that going for you? Because I tell you, when you're ready to try God's way, give me a call and I'll help you. And of course, on many occasions, the people would turn around and just keep on going, doing their thing. But many times, those same people would call him later because they had that defining moment and they came to their senses and he would help them in their um, next steps to recovery in, the, in their situation there. So our reactions to being lost is a sense of helplessness, but also a defining moment. But notice too the father's response to all that takes place here. Back with the shepherd, he says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders rejoicing. You see, the shepherd didn't care why the sheep became lost or how he became lost, but it was the fact that he was lost and needed to be found. So he didn't offer any conditions to come back. He just went and found him put him on his shoulders, and came back rejoicing. Well, with the prodigal, what, what happened here? So the prodigal says, I will set out and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So he set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Man, just think how beautiful this passage is because in the shepherd's case, he needed to find his sheep. He was willing to leave the 99 in the pasture, in open pasture, unprotected for a time 
to go find this one sheep that was lost. And in the case of the prodigal son, the father never gave up on his son. He never stopped praying for, hoping for, wishing to see his son again. Because you notice that he would always keep an eye out to the horizon, keeping an eye out for his son just in case he came back. And it's such a beautiful picture of God's love for us that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter where we've gone, that he is always holding out hope for us. And he is seeking us out. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're going through. But he continues to hold out that hope for us and seek us out in hopes of our return. And especially with the prodigal story, I keep imagining this father just looking off into the distance whenever he had a spare moment and just hoping and wishing that his son was on his way back. And notice I said, and even when he was a far way off, I'm sure he couldn't see his face to know that it was exactly him, but perhaps he could tell by the way he walked, perhaps by the, the frame, the outline of his frame, that that was his son. And then notice what he did. What did he took off running to see his son. For older gentlemen like him, like me, the father, it, it was very out of culture for them to actually run. Plus with the, the type of clothing that they wore, it was not easy to do that. But he didn't care. He took off running for his son and gave him a huge embrace. He didn't hold him conditional first or judge him first or condemn him. So why did you do this to me? He just said, I'm just so glad you're here. I'm just so glad you're back. So we see from the father's response of the shepherd and the prodigal's father of what gives us a beautiful picture of how God looks out for us. So then what's the result then of all of this? Well, two different things. The first of which is our repentance. We hear this a lot of times in church stuff. You see it in scripture. But to repent means to turn or change direction. Uh, it's to basically do a 180. If I'm headed in this direction, then if I'm repenting, I'm going to change and go in this direction. It's coming to our senses to realize that, hey, I'm in the wrong direction. I'm going the wrong way, either because I've wandered off or because I'm rebelling against God. But God has gotten my attention. I realize I need God in my life. And so, therefore, I'm going to repent of these deeds that I've been going through or experiencing to come back to the way, to the relationship with my father has always wanted for me. And so like Pastor Kevin says when he, he preaches, every time he preaches, he says, you know, what does this mean in my life? And so this has made me evaluate my life a little bit here and understand that I realize there's some attitudes I've allowed to creep into my, to my mindset that are not Christ-like or, or that are keeping me from conforming to the image of Christ. And so we take, I take this personally as well, that I need to repent of those things in my life so that I can have the full relationship with God that he desires for me. And I always think of a statement that um, Andy Stanley uh, preached uh, many years ago where he said, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more 
and there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. And know what? Just a reminder of that God loves me unconditionally, just like the prodigal's father. And he's running to me to embrace me, to welcome me back into the fold. And so that's the challenge for us today is the, are we willing to repent of whatever has distracted us, whatever has caused us to wander away, whatever may have caused us to rebel against God? Because then the other result is, and this, um, well, in going back to the repentance, the, the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so the result is not only our repentance, but God's great joy that comes from that. So you see in both the, the case of the shepherd and because of the father, it says, and when the shepherd comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me because I've found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. And then with the prodigal's father, but the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and a sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. And he was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. So it just continues to show us the, 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 this point of, of joy and celebration that takes place when we re, are restored in our relationship with God at whatever level that may be. So, so here's my challenge for you today. That you may sense that you've, you've wandered, about, uh, wandered away from uh, the, the full relationship with God that you maybe you've experienced in the past. And that would be completely understandable in light of all that we've all been through in the last couple of years, dealing with COVID and all the uncertainty with jobs and, and family situation, health issues. Um, and it's completely understandable. But it could be that there's been some outright rebellion in the sense of we've gotten mad at God for allowing these things to happen or allowing some circumstance to happen in our life. And we realize, no, it's not God's fault. But God wants me, wants to use those experiences in my life to bring me back to him. So what better way to bring joy to ourselves, but also to our Heavenly Father by getting things right with him as we begin this new year? And it's not in the form of a resolution. It's just in, in the form of, of a renewed commitment to follow God in the way that he wants for him. And here at Northway... We've got some great opportunities coming for you uh, during the month of January with Northway University, um, some other classes that will be offered, and then home teams will be cranking up uh, the latter part of January, 1st of February. So I hope you'll take advantage of it because these are steps to help you in that journey with God.